that's really touching. And, and so I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for that, just, just to see that. Thank you, Terry, and all those people that put that together and made that happen. Um, you're a church that is very loving and loves much, and we love you very much for all the kindness and all the, the love that you show those that can't come. Mother Mabel, if you're watching, or if you're watching next week when you get this, we love you out there. We know you, you're watching, and we know you're with us, and we, we're thankful for you. And all those people, for Sue and Norty who can't be here, and Steve and Shirley who can't be here. There are a lot of people who can't be here with us, but we're so grateful for all that can come and to have Sister Dara back uh, with us. We're going to start today. And the book of Ephesians, um, and uh, it's going to be a, a quick read. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven. They're uh, they're getting some things going on the screen. Looks like they're having a few things going. But everybody, if you have a cell phone, you should have a Bible. And believe it or not, it's actually in your notes. Some of it should be in your notes. It may not be there, but it's Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven. I'm going to read it. It says, "So Christ Himself." Everybody say, "Christ." gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to say that again. So Christ himself, somebody said it again, Christ gave us apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people. Everybody say, I'm his people. For works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. I know they got it on the screen, but I believe that's powerful. I want us to read that together. It's one thing when you hear it, but it's another thing when you read it. Go back to verse 11, guys, if you can do that. I want us to read that together. Let's read. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Hallelujah. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You may be seated in the presence of God. Lord, speak your servants. Listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're so glad to see everyone this morning. I don't know if you know it, but I get joy when I look out and I see all of you guys. We, we love to see you. And, and to those who are watching or listening online, we've been in a series called what? Gifted. We're learning about our gifts because it is time for us in the body of Christ. As I announced and I will continue to announce, the pandemic is over. I'm not waiting for the CDC to announce it. I'm not waiting for anybody else to announce it. I am going to say the pandemic is over. We're going to be about our father's business. Why do you say that? Because the church has thrived throughout history in the hardest times of its life. When it was during the, the times when the world was at its worst, that the church was at its best. So it is not time for the church to retreat, but it is the time for the church to move forward because there are tons of people who are psychologically hurting, who are mentally hurting, who are physically hurting, who are not dealing with death well, who are not dealing with separation and isolation. And it is not time for us to hide our light under a bushel, but it is time for us to open our light up for the world to see. For Jesus says, for let your light so shine. 
that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I submit to you this morning that you are a light for the Father and that the Father is glorified when you shine. I don't know if you know it, but you were created to shine. Somebody say, shine bright. You were created, Jesus says, no man takes a light and hides it under a bushel or a bowl, but you are the light of the world. You are significant. You are not here by just some happenstance incident or you're not here by accident. You are here by intent and design and God has placed in you a gifting to be able to use to bless both the body of Christ and the world. You have purpose, you have worth, and you have value, but your purpose is tied completely to the the almighty will of Almighty God. And so we look at a part of the gifts today as we've been talking about serving gifts. We're going into what we would call some of the speaking gifts. And all throughout Christendom, there are different opinions on different things. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But some of those things don't, there aren't major issues. Some people are divided on some things, but we're unified here that Paul is talking and he's talking about unity in the body of Christ. How do you get unity? You need a uniform message. That's why everybody needs to have a singular person purpose and goal. So our number one goal at Encounter Church is to what? Reach the lost. Everybody who you talk to, if I walk up to you, I should be able to ask you, why are we here? Number one, we're here to what? Reach the lost. We're here to reach people that do not know Jesus. Number two, once they are found, what are we to do? To teach the found. Teaching them to observe all those things that I have taught you that they may grow and be disciples and reach out to other people. You're not just being saved to sit, but you're being saved to serve. Somebody say, I'm saved to serve. You're saved to serve. You're not saved just so you have some fire insurance for eternity. You are saved because once you are saved, he says, come here, Peter. Jesus says, and when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. When you get into the place where I need you to be, Peter, I don't want you to be there just to say you had a good service. I don't want you to get there to be say that you just had a good life, but I want you to be able to create that life for somebody else. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Why do you need to do that? Because the thief, somebody said the thief. I don't know if you know it, but there's a thief out there. Uh, Most times they say that identity theft is the fastest growing crime in the world. But I would say that soul theft is the fastest growing crime in the world because the enemy is out and he's out to steal your soul. He's out to steal your joy. He's out to steal your peace. He's out to steal your peace of mind and your sanctity in your home. He's out and designed to sneak into your homes and put hell into your homes and bring hell from where he is and bring it into your house the way your kids won't act right or your wife or your husband won't act right or your finances won't act right and he that's his job I'm not mad at him for doing his job he's coming to kill steal and destroy but I'm so glad that at the end of John 10 there's a but somebody said but but means that it cancels everything that was said before. So Jesus said that, the, yes, the thief does come to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to create division among the believers and among the churches. And but, everybody said but. <laughs> but he said, but I come that you might have life <laughs> and that you may have it more abundantly. <laughs> that word means overflowing to the full, that you not so much have this enough Zoe for yourself, which is the word life, but you have enough that when people around you come around, they become energized by the life that's on the inside of you. And they say, I've got to get close to this Jesus. 
<laughs> What's this joy that you have that I, I know your situation and I know that you should be down. I know that you should be sad. I know that you should be angry. I know you should have lost your mind by now, but you seem to be the most peaceful person in the place. I want that. And you can look at him and say, but he came that I might have life and I'm going to have it to the full till it overflows. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, till it overflows. Hallelujah. I don't know if you know it, but God has come to give you an overflowing blessing this morning. God has come to lift your hearts up into an overflowing church. I know there are people here today and we're glad to see the people, but God is a God of the overflow. Everybody say overflow. We're not going to stop until there's not enough room in here and we have to put TVs downstairs and we have to go into the overflow. And when we finish with that, we'll go into another service. Why? Because we serve a God of the overflow and God comes that everybody could have life and have it to the fullest. Well, how do we have it to the fullest? Everybody say, if it's to be, it's up to me. Paul is talking about unity in the church and each one of us plays a part in that. And so he says this, he says in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In other words, you have received a calling and you need to live up to it. Whatever gift I placed on the inside of you, you need to live up to that calling. Why? Because there's somebody depending on your gift. You might think it's insignificant. You might not think it's not that great, but God himself has placed it on the inside of you. And if God himself has placed it on the inside of you, don't you dare let the devil lie to you and tell you that you're insignificant. Don't you dare let the the devil lie to you and tell you that you don't have worth or you don't have value. Yes, all our righteousness is but a filthy rag, but you got to keep reading the end of the story because the Bible said, though my sins be as scarlet, he will make them white as snow. I am righteous because God has made me righteous. He says, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Verse two of Ephesians chapter four. I'm going to flow through there for a second time. And then he says something that's very important as we study our gifting. Verse three, uh, it says this. It says, and if they catch up, you can read it with me. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Hallelujah. God wants us unified. God wants us on one accord. God wants us moving together. Verse 4 says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, hallelujah, one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But then he says this, hallelujah, but to each, everybody say each. Hallelujah. Each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, which means that there is nobody in this room who Christ doesn't have a plan for your life. Now, I come to tell you that that plan might not result in a house and a car and a million dollars. It may not result in fame. It may not result in you being at the top of the echelons of people's adoration. But God has a plan for your life. And I would rather have the praise of a loving God than a thousand or a million praises of men who are faulty like me. Why? Because one day God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are significant in the body of Christ. And the number one lie that the enemy tells is that you're not. Why does he tell you that? Because he knows if he keeps telling you you're insignificant, you'll say it doesn't matter if I show up to church or not. 
And you'll be here some Sundays and some Sundays you won't and you really don't care because you don't realize how significant you are and the devil will keep lying to you about it. It doesn't matter if I come or go. Jesus is everywhere I go. Yes, he is. But he said, forsake not to assemble yourselves together. And if you love me, keep my commandments, which means if he's commanded that we meet and we gather regularly, we should gather regularly. But the enemy would have you know think that it's insignificant whether you come to church or not. Why? Because if he can keep you away, he can try to weaken what God is doing. But I've come to serve notice that what say we then that if God be for us, who can be against us when we all get together? When we all utilize our gifts, the body of Christ is blessed, but each to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ is a portion. That's why I said he ascended on high. He led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower and earthly regions? He who descended into the very is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe that he has died for us. He has been buried inside of the earth for us. And he has been raised. And because he's raised, we can say like Brother Bob said this morning, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Come back and receive me. I'll be so glad when I don't have to worry about taking NyQuil and DayQuil and I don't have headaches and sickness and sadness and I don't have to stand in front of caskets and tell my loved ones goodbye. But where I come from, they used to say one day it'll always be howdy, howdy. I'm from the South and never goodbye. I don't know if you know it, but one day you'll be able to tell everybody howdy, howdy and never goodbye. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sadness. It won't be anymore because you will be with God. You won't even need a son because the Bible said that God himself in the book of Revelations will light the city and there will be no more darkness. Because in him there is no shifting shadow. There is no darkness in God. If you got darkness in your light, your light just let God in. Because wherever light comes, darkness has to escape. You don't have to tell the darkness to leave. All you have to do is flip on the light switch. And light is going to drive out the darkness. If you're in a dark place in your life, pick up your word. Get on your knees. Invite God into your life. Because when the light comes in, the darkness has to flee. The darkness has to flee and God has given us some gifts to make sure that his church is properly taken care of. He wants his church, this unit. We, we don't need to discount the saints gathering. We don't need to discount the body of Christ coming together. This thing that we call church on Sunday morning is not insignificant. It's not played out. It's not old school. It is essential for us that we gather week after week and day after day. The Bible says when the church grew in the book of Acts, daily they gathered in prayer and fellowship and the breaking of bread. And when they did that, the Lord added to them such would be saved. But we have become such a culture of trying to be so apologetic to the world and trying to prove to the world that we're not this or we're that. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of trying to prove things to the world. I'm just ready to be what God has called me to be. And if you like me, fine. If you don't like me, fine. But I don't bend to your will. It's time for the church to stop trying to please the world and for the church to be the church and that the world models itself after the church and not the church itself after the world. God is calling us. 
And to do that, he's given us some strength inside this church that each Sunday it begins to grow. And if we use our gifting, the church will be blessed. That's why when he gets down, it says it is he, it is Christ himself who gave apostles. Somebody say apostles. Now, some people, that word is used in two different terms. Some use it to mean the original 12, the original apostles, those who walk with Jesus, including Matthias, excluding Judas Iscariot. And they, they talk about the office of the apostle. And so those people will believe that there are no more apostles, but generally they are talking about the gift, uh, about the office itself. But the word apostolos means one that is sent or one that is a delegate. And as you read through your notes, you'll see that there are other people in the New Testament scripture that are considered apostles. They are considered delegates. Today we would call them missionaries. They are ones that are delegated and that they are sent forth. Those who have an apostolic gift are people that go forth to build. They're people that can plant churches. They're people that can pull together resources and fellowships and begin to build. And those people help because the more churches that are built, the better the world can be. I said can. <laughs> but if it's to be, we've got to do our part. Somebody say it's up to me. It's ultimately up to God, but God uses us as we yield ourselves and we give God our yes. That word apostolos, it indicates someone working on the behalf of another or the authority of another. The apostolic gift shows up many times throughout the body and we see many apostolic roles. I'm not going to go through all that because I want you guys to go home and I want you to study these things so you can begin to be equipped. This is the teaching the found portion where we learn the scripture so that we can teach other people what God is doing. So God has called people. That's why it's important. I'm glad that we give to Nepal. That's an, that's an apostolic type ministry to be able to share the gospel and, and through missionary but we're going to do some apostolic type ministry here as well. What do you mean? We're going to be doing some things where we reach out into this community. We've already talked about what we want to do for certain groups and certain things. And we want to be a blessing because God, when those things help, the churches help. Because if we, everybody's always saying in every church, I wish I had more help. Well, if we go out and help people, if you build it, they'll what? Come. When people see you doing something, they'll want to what? Do something. So apostles are, are important, but we're going to move on to the office of the teacher. Everybody said teacher. <laughs> One thing uh, my, my pastor, Dr. Miller, would always say, and he, he, he would talk about Dr. Burwell saying this, and he said, teaching, say it after me, teaching, teaching. draws the world out of you. <laughs> Preaching draws you out of the word. <laughs> he would always say that. Preaching draws you out of the world. Preaching is pounding. Preaching is proclaiming. Preaching is proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But guess what? Some people are saved and they're what they call carnal Christians. What does that mean? They're saved, but they just like little babies. They don't know what's acceptable and they don't know what's not. They're, they're walking in grace and they're walking in liberty, but they don't have a lot of maturity. So I'm saved, but I still cuss. <laughs> I'm saved, but I, I still fight every now and then. There was, there was a song we were looking at and it said, try Jesus, but don't try me. 
Because I throw hands. That, that, those, those, are t- those, are, those are baby Christians. Those are carnal Christians. Christians that may be saved, but they're just not where they need to be yet. And God hasn't got them there, but they're Christians all the same. Lamarck is laughing, <laughs> laughing back there. But, but, it, but there are some carnal Christians just like that out here. And, and if I, I'm pretty sure if I saw you in traffic, some of y'all want to throw some hands sometimes <laughs> when people cut you off <laughs> and do things like that. Those are carnal Christians. But guess what? The Christians are all the same, but they can't stay like that. Everybody say you can't stay there. You can come like that, but you can't stay like that. If you're going to have a walk with Christ at some point in time, your life has to go into a transformative pattern, which means the things that you did yesterday, you're trying better not to do them tomorrow. And I need to be able to do that. How do I do that? The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach unless he be sent? So the first thing, we can't teach you anything until there's a transformation on the inside of your spirit. You have to be saved. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. But after the preacher has preached to you and you've given your heart to God, then comes the teacher and the teacher draws the world out of you. You can't do what you don't know. That's why, why sometimes we, oh, in the old school, a lot of times Christians would, would cringe at people when they start cussing or doing certain stuff and not that it was acceptable and you just, it's okay, but here's the thing. Sometimes people just don't what? No. They don't know what they don't know. <laughs> and what a Christian does in love is you love people. I, I, I guess this is going to be a Dr. Miller morning this morning. He would always say this. He says, you need to love, repeat after me, love people where they are. And you can love them out of what they're in. If you love people where they are, Jesus met the woman at the well where she what? Was. He didn't start the conversation with, you need to stop shacking because cohabitation is wrong. And I got all these books I can give you and you need to stop this and you're going to hell. He just simply asked the woman, can I have some water? To engage her. People don't care what you know until they know what you, that you care to engage her, and once he got a hold of her and he had her attention, then he could begin to minister to her, and then she could be taught once she was convinced that he was the what? Christ. When people give their heart to Christ, they want to be taught. I don't know about you, but when I, when I gave my heart to God, I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. So the teachers are very important. I need somebody to teach me. How can I do it? And let somebody teach me. So one of the commandments Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 28, 20, he says, go ye therefore into all the nations and preach the gospel, baptizing them. Oh, they got it. They're they're on on point. He says, go and teaching them what? To obey everything I have commanded you. Let's read that. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even in our country right now, there is an ever-present fight over education. You know why that is? Because if I can control education, I can control the culture, I can control people, which means that if I change what the facts are in your mind, if I tell you two plus three is five long, is four long enough, everybody will fight you down to tell you that two plus two is four, and that, uh, two plus two is five, and it's, it's four all day long. So it's important that if we're going to change our life, we have to get into the Word of God and be you transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. How do you renew your mind? You have to get, everybody say garbage out, garbage out. God in. Say that again. Garbage out. Garbage out. God, in. God in. 
And that's what a teacher does for you. It teaches you how to get the garbage out and how to get the God in. It's not about making no mistakes. It's about when you make the mistakes to learn from the mistakes and learn what the Bible says about how to live. The Bible says that he has given us all things as it pertains to life and what? Godliness. This is the Holy Spirit, because as you can see, none of this is in my notes, but I'm going with what God wants me to go with. It's important for us to know that teachers matter. So if you have a teaching gift, it's important because we're going to need some Sunday schools. And, uh, and some, in the new age, they call them life groups, but they're still Sunday schools. That's what they, what, what they are. We're going to need people to do small groups and teach people because we're going to have people come to Christ. And to be honest, we need somebody to say, have you read your Bible this week? Well, no, I haven't done it this week. And then after a while, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible just so they stop asking me if I'm going to read my Bible. And after a while, they start to read their Bible. And after a while, they start to like their Bible. And before you know it, next thing they know, now they're teaching somebody else. Teaching is important. Some possess a natural knack and ability to transfer information through teaching, but God can give a supernatural gift of teaching, and the presence of a teaching gift may be present without formal education. We remember in the Bible where they came in and they said these men are ignorant and what? Unlearned. They weren't learned in the synagogue, but yet they were able to argue with the theologians who had been to their seminary of the day better than they could respond. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. You need word and spirit, not just word. The letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. If you fill yourself up full of this Bible and you have a head full of Bible knowledge, all you become is an obnoxious Christian. You have to fill it with the spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God will tell you how to apply what you learn. The Spirit of God will open up things. The Bible says sometimes some people can't catch spiritual revelation because it's spiritually discerned. And guess what? If you're not in tune spiritually with God, there are some revelations in the Bible that will go right over your Jesus did it all the time. He was always telling parables. And they said, why do you do that? He said, so they'll be overhearing but never comprehended. They were listening for the wrong reason, that there are some plain truths in the world that some people cannot see, and some of them can't see it because they love the world too much. The Bible says it this way, that the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded their eyes. They've, they've had so much YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and news feeds that, that those things have begun to infiltrate their mind and all they have is garbage in, garbage in, garbage in, no outlet, and they are confused and they don't know what truth is because they've never let God in. And it's important for us to have teachers because there's a lot of access to junk nowadays. I picked up my phone the other day and looked at my wife's phone and somebody was sending her something and she didn't want it. And I, I looked at it and I looked at the tracking and she had been tracked over 1,600 times in that day on her phone. So they could constantly pump messages to her. Garbage in. But what the teacher does, the teacher gets the garbage what? Out. Teachers have to be patient. Teachers have to be firm. Like, like, Terry, uh, like, like uh, Chrissy said, she's sick of me, but that's okay. I'm not going to stop because you're going to get the garbage out. <laughs> because people that love you will what? Teach you. That's why God has called us not to fuss, but to teach. Oftentimes, 
pastors and preachers can make the mistake of fussing at people that simply don't know. They fuss at people that don't give, not knowing that the people haven't been taught about giving or about the blessings that are attached to giving and, and, and that the blessings in your heart are given, and they can't do what they don't know. You got to teach them. You got to feed them. Loveth thou me more than these, Peter? What? Feed my sheep. Let's look at Acts 2.42. This is the beginning of the church, and let's see how the original church started. Let's read that together. Let's see how often they did it. Sometimes we start watching our watches if servers run a little long. Let's see what they did. Let's see. Verse 42. He said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread in prayer. They did that continually and daily. Every day. Christianity is not a Sunday and a Wednesday thing. Christianity is a seven-day walk. If, you, if, you, if you're at the point that you're just at Sundays and Wednesdays or some Sundays and Wednesdays, I'm not fussing at you. But what I'm telling you is Christianity is a seven-day walk. We need to be communicating and fellowshipping with one another. We need to be living life together, partnering with one another. God has not designed us to go through life alone. And we need those who have the teaching gift to use that gift to help bring souls to the body of Christ. We're going on to evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Evangelism is the essential to building the kingdom. Mark 16, 15 says this. He said to them, y'all can read with me, let's say. He said to them, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I so love it when y'all read with me. You just don't know what it sounds like to hear all these voices together. That's beautiful to me. I don't know if you know how much I love you, and I'm glad to see you every Sunday. Give yourselves a hand. Jesus has given us a mandate. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But we can't preach the gospel until somebody, what, teaches us the gospel. So it's important that we give a good bit of our time to Christian education in the church. All these things are important, especially if there are men. God is, everybody say men. Men. I've changed the name of the man cave ministry to the man up ministry, and I did that on purpose. Because it's time for men all over America to man up. To, to, and the goal is not to fuss at them, but to lift them up, to build them up, and to pick them up. Because there are a lot of men that are broken. A lot of men who haven't had direction and know what a father is. But don't you know that the most significant role in the house is the male? Because if you can kill the male, you can destroy the house. Satan doesn't attack mama like he does daddy. He attacks daddy all day long. Mama's important. Everybody's equally important in ways, but a father is important because the father is the spiritual protector and the spiritual guardian of the house. The father is the pastor of the house, so it's important that the father knows the Bible more than anybody else. If you read the scriptures, and, and, and a lot of people take this scripture out of context when they say, let them ask your husbands at home, and we're not going into that. A lot of people take that out of context, but it's interesting that they say that. Why? Because it was assumed that the husband would know the scripture. It's important as men that we lead 
not, we, it, we don't just get to lead because we wear the pants, but we need to lead in devotion. We need to lead in prayer. We need to lead in fellowship. And we also need to lead in evangelism. Now, some people have the gift of evangelism, an extraordinary gift, but I've read with Mark 16, 15, because nobody gets a pass. You do not get a pass not to evangelize. You do not get a pass not to share the gospel. That's not somebody else's gift here that you don't have to do. He says, he said to them, all of them go into all the world and preach the gospel. He was empowering them to go preach the gospel, but all of us are required to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm quiet. I'm an introvert. Well, we got these things called kindness cards. If somebody has one, bring it up to me. I think they had some down there on the front row at one time. And you can grab one of these little cards. You might not know much about Jesus, but if you could just hand somebody a card and walk away, if you just don't, don't like it or, or something like, or like to talk to people. But everybody needs to be able to share the gospel. I'll use Linda as an example. I know she won't mind. Linda very rarely comes to church by herself. I, I know several people who come to Christ. Why? Just because Linda has invited somebody and said, come go to my church with a smile. That's the biggest part of evangelism there. Smile. Be happy. Be nice. Everybody said, be nice. If you're nice to people, people might want to listen. And they do. Being nice is more of a ministry than anything else. When you put a smile on your face and they can see that Christians have joy and Christians have peace. That doesn't mean Christians don't have things going on, but Christians make a choice to be joyful in all what? Things. It's important. So I ask you a question. Do you possess a hunger and a desire to see God's people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you find it natural to share the gospel? Some people, my, my kids know me. I go, into, I go in some place, and, and I hate when my kids know me that well. I go in, and they'll be like, we knew you were going to stay in there. How long are you staying there? Did you invite the person to church? You don't know I invited the person to church. Yep. See? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's, it's in my natural disposition. I want as many people as possible to know Jesus Christ. And my kids know me very well. It's very rarely. I went late night to get a late night snack from the gas station. And I ended up inviting somebody to church. And something just as simple as that. Some plant, some water. God brings the increase. You don't have to be a big theologian. But you can at least get them here. It's like football or baseball or anything. Sometimes you got to give an assist. Or if you like basketball, somebody's got to give the alley. Somebody, hey, if I can get them in the door, maybe he can preach to them. And if he can preach to them, if they get saved, maybe Brother Bob or somebody with a teaching gift can teach them what they need to do. But I can serve my part to get them in the what? Door. Do you possess that? Do you have an overwhelming, burning passion to share the word of God? Are you hungry to share and know more about God's word? Then the gift of evangelism may be in you. If God has given you the gift of gab and you don't know yet what to do with it, it's probably that that gift is dormant on the inside of you and you just need to spend some time in teaching to develop so that you can be able to proclaim what God calls you to proclaim. Everybody that God used was proficient at what they were doing. He wanted fishes of men, so who did he go get? He he went and got fishermen. He wanted to collect people. He got tax collectors. How about that? Have you ever thought about that? He wanted somebody who was busy and would go down to the roads traveling, uh, traveling for the purpose of God. And he found a person that was going around down the roads. He was just doing the wrong things, killing Christians. And he turned around and said, hey, that guy's got some energy. I can use that. I, I want him to take my gospel to the Gentile. I'm going to clean him up and turn him around. But what was in him just needs to be developed. I'm going to knock him off his beast. I'm going to send him and let him get some counseling and let, let Ananias tell him and train him what he needs to do. And after he finishes with Arabia, I'm going to take those same energy and passions that are on the same side of him and I'm going to develop them for my glory. 
There are a lot of people that are using their gifts just for their glory and other people's glory, not realizing that the reason it's in you, it's innate in you because God wants to use it for his glory, and he's calling you. Somebody said, come here. Come to me. Somebody listening to the Holy Spirit is on somebody's mind saying, I don't know why it is I have a knack for this. It's because God has put something on the inside of you, and he's calling you to discover and find out what it is. Huh. Shepherding. Shepherding. Some predict, they have this gift of shepherding or pastoring, and they don't fall into the traditional role of the senior pastor or that office. We often think of shepherds, we think of pastors, but some people have the shepherding gift that will never be a pastor. Be, they're, they're, because there are people outside of this role, the, uh, most of the most significant roles outside in the church necessarily aren't always speaking gifts. Some possess this gift, but God will supply you true shepherds. He says in Jeremiah 3.15, if you repent and come back to me, he says, then I'll give you pastors of my own heart. Then I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. And what would they do? Everybody say, lead. They will lead you with knowledge and understanding. Everybody say, lead and feed. The, pe the purpose of a shepherd is somebody that can lead somebody. If you have new be believers or a women's group or a divorce care group or a battered women's group or, 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 or angry men group, uh, anger management, whatever it may be, somebody that has that gift that can kind of corral people around and they can walk with people who aren't yet perfect. People that, don't, that can deal with people who haven't got their life all cleaned up yet. You might have a shepherding gift. If you, if you can deal with somebody and they cuss and you don't cringe because you know you, you cussed one day or one time before and you can deal with that because you're looking at the goal that you're getting to and, and, you can, and you can nicely guide them and lead and feed them and give them the word of God, you might have a shepherding gift because you care more about them than their action. You can't clean somebody that you can't catch, but if you can catch them, you can clean them. The word of God will clean them. And it says God supplies true shepherding. The shepherd is a guiding gift. The person will tend to show a concern and care for those for whom they serve. You can tell people who have a shepherding gift because they're always worried about other people. They're always trying to care and nurture for other people. They're sacrificial by nature. You'll find them at the church or doing ministry or work when other people are gone home, and you'll still find them Working, why? Because they're taking care of the flock in their own little way. They have that shepherding gift. They often make sacrifices for the good of the flock they serve. They give when other people don't even know they're giving. They do when other people don't know they're doing. Jesus said it this way. He says, I am, John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. If they have that, we'll read it together. Let's read. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Mm. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for his sheep. In other words, when there's no fame to be had, when there's no, no popularity to be had, when there's no money to be had, when there's no advantage to be had, this, it's just a job, it's not a calling. When, you, when you're doing something in church, you very well better make sure that it's a calling, because if it's not a calling, a lot of times you'll be doing stuff, but you're doing it with an empty heart. You gotta make sure, that's why we're doing this teaching series, to find out what is your gift, so you can work in your passion how God's designed you. But a hired hand, they just care about just, just getting what they can get 
and leaving, but shepherds sometimes put themselves in harm's way and danger and put themselves in the position of harm to protect other people. A shepherd may fall asleep, but even if he falls asleep and he wakes up and finds a wolf, he's not going to say, oh, well, I fell asleep and, and now it's time for them to, to die. No, what he's going to say is I fell asleep. It's my responsibility, even though it was my mistake, to protect these sheep. And he will do what he has to do, even if it means danger or harm to himself, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, because he cares more about the sheep than he does his own self. Jesus says, he that loves his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake will find it. That does not mean that pastors who are dealing with mental health don't need to go get their mental health to have balance of boundaries. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there's a difference between serving and sacrificing and, and, and leading, leading and feeding people than it is just to always take, take, take. Remember, we talked about having a symbiotic or a parasitic relationship. God is never calling the believer to have a parasitic relationship where we take, 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 soak up all the, all the good music and worship the praise thing, but never give, 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 give back to them encouragement. We need symbiotic relationships where we lead and feed one another. Amen? Amen. Is this helping anybody this morning? I thought about Psalms 23, and as I was doing the study, I saw a comparative analysis, and I kind of came up with one myself about an example of the good shepherd, Psalms 23. And Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want and then it says, he maketh me to lie down in still waters. So the first thing I thought is that a shepherd is calming. Everybody said calming. The shepherd will tend to have a knack for leading people to a calm place during tough times. Generally, there may be counselors or things of that nature. You might be somebody who's good for grief care. Uh, I know Terry has a, has a degree in counseling, and Brother Joe has done counseling. Those types of people are shepherds where people are going through a tough time, and, and they need somebody to talk to, and, and, and they need somebody to lead them to a calm and a healthy place in life. And guess what? Those people can shepherd you and steward you to that calm place. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 2 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted to carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law. Why is that scripture there? That's there because he restores my what? So those who are, have a pastoral gift have a gift of restoration. They're people who can find people who made mistakes and not beat them up, but pick them up and restore them. In order, if you restore something, that means you put it back in its original condition. That you can't even tell that it's been broken. You can't even tell what it's been through because it has been what? Restored. That's what Christ wants to do with us, and that's what a pastor does. A pastor or somebody with a pastoral heart finds people that are beat up and broken in life, and they can put them back to a restorative purpose, and they may have not had a mother or a father or this and that part in life, but they're trying to restore them to something that is better and greater. The shepherd will tend to have a nurturing nature to build back and restore those who are broken or fallen. Everybody say soul restoration. I love how Psalm said it. He said, he restoreth my soul. It's one thing to restore your body because it's going to break again. But what about when he restores your soul? Have you ever been good in the body but bad in the soul? Your body was good, but you couldn't find no peace in your mind or your heart. 
you can kind of get over a broken body better than you can a broken soul. Some people are 70 years old and still can't get over father wounds from things their father said to them or things their mother said to them and their soul is broken. They still can't get over from trauma or bullying or abuse and all these things and their soul is broken. And they need somebody with a shepherding gift that can lead them to the good shepherd that can restore their soul. Anybody need your soul restored this morning? If you do, there's somebody that needs a shepherd in the building. Do you find people who need to get their life on track? Do you always seem to gravitate toward people who, who seem to be on the bottom side of life? Those people who are beacons. Huh. See, the shepherd gives guidance and direction for spiritual righteousness and renewal. The shepherd will not will appoint the sheep to miraculous salvation through the death burial of Jesus Christ. In other words, the shepherd is not only concerned about the health and mental well-being, but ultimately he's concerned about where you will spend eternity. Shepherds care about those things. Shepherds stay when danger comes. Shepherds don't leave when the going gets tough. Shepherds, true shepherds, stay and they fight it out to the death. Why? Because a true shepherd that's truly been called knows that they are accountable for the sheep. They don't just cut and run when it's more convenient. They fight because they love their sheep. They bring a comforting presence. People require ministry of presence sometimes during dark times and valleys in their life. They need people like a Lamarck that's a man of few words but just doesn't know how much just sometimes somebody's being there will be, be a, a, a big light or somebody like Austin who might not have a lot of words but he's got presence and he can sit there and listen. That's ministry. Sometimes, you know how many times people are alone and they don't have anybody and they just want somebody to listen and they feel like the enemy's lying in their mind, nobody cares about you, and just you sitting there not saying a word. Makes all the difference. Just showing up every now and then. Makes all the difference. There are other people in this congregation who have a shepherd and give. Why is that important? Because we have people that need ministry to and I am not Jesus. I can only be in one place at what? One time. I can only deal with one thing at one time. And as much as I love everybody, I might not have the physical capacity to get to everybody at every time. But if somebody else has a shepherding gift, if I can't go, I can pick up the phone and say, hey, Brother Bob, somebody's going through. Can you go check on them for us? Brother Dave, somebody's going through. Can you, can you go see about them? Austin, this person needs to ride and I can't get there. Can you, can you do that? Dalen, uh, can, I, I know you can drive, Dalen. Uh, this, this person that can't get their groceries this week, can, can, can you just go pick up some groceries for them? That is amazing. It might seem small to you, but that's because you don't need it, but to somebody who needs it and can't get it, that is huge. You can become somebody's miracle by doing the small things. Last things. I'm not going to keep you today. Everybody say word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. 
word of knowledge is a, is a revelation of the knowledge of God. In other words, we live in the physical realm, but there is a spiritual realm, and there are things that we do not see, and, but they exist just because we can't see them doesn't mean that they do not exist. And sometimes we need knowledge, and God will give us specific and clear words on things, and they can come through visions, they can come through dreams, they can come through people about what to do. That doesn't mean it happens all the time, and these things, I am not what you call a cessationist. Cessationists mean some of the gifts are no longer in operation. I believe that God's gifts are still in operation. All the ones that are in the Bible are still in operation, and there is no theological premise that gives any logical proof that they aren't, except that people feel like they haven't seen them as much. But God chooses when he uses these. He, he doesn't say that gifts are ceased. He says where there are, they will cease, and we'll get to that in a second, because you don't need them anymore at that point. But the gifts are still in operation, but the reason people shy away from spiritual gifts and some of the more miraculous gifts is because of the abuses people have put on them to make themselves look good. But God still uses those gifts. And the word of knowledge is something that somebody may not know. God will open our eyes to things he wishes us to know. In other words, God will give us knowledge. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in what? Part. And we prophesy in part, but when it when completeness comes, what is in it, what what is in part disappears. In other words, one day we won't need knowledge because we'll be with God and we'll be able, we'll be we'll know and be fully known. Like Paul said, we'll be with Jesus. But there are some things that we've even seen in our study of Acts where God's getting ready to do something for Peter. He hadn't even told him. He says, hey, Peter, go downstairs. There's three men that's going to be waiting on you. God will do stuff like that. I've actually experienced that in my life and I've never put this on the recording, but I, I'll share with you. I've received a word of knowledge before. My mother was a, uh, the doctors had shaken their head. They said there was nothing more that could be done for my mother. And she was at this point where we kept giving her back and forth between the, the doctor's offices and she needed chemo, but she couldn't get it to extend her life. And, and so her lungs kept building up with fluid and we could never get the fluid out. Every time they do the thoracentesis and take the fluid out before we could get her home, we get care. And basically they told me, son, there's nothing that, else that we can do. And I didn't know what to do. I wasn't a doctor. And, I, I, and this is a very personal story. I thought about whether or not I would even tell this story. So I went down and I was so destroyed that apparently I looked like I was destroyed. I walked to a guy and I said, hey, have y'all told a car or something like that? He looked in my face and said, hold on one minute. And he said, don't you move. They went and got a, a, a place. I was really mentally wrecked and they took me around and they drove me around until they could find my car. I didn't know I was that distraught. And I was at the point where my theology wouldn't help me. I was at the point where I knew God would work. All I could do, I sat in the car and I screamed. And I cried. And I said, Jesus, you got to help me. I'm not ready to lose my mother. I know that it's going to happen at some point in time, but can you give me just a little more time? Will you show me something? Will you do something? And the Lord gave me a vision. I don't, I'm not one of those spooky people that always get visions and stuff, but he gave me a vision. And what he did was, it was weird. He took me as I was walking to the back of my mother's house. I was in a vision. I was walking. It was almost like I was there. And I walked around, and as I was walking around the curb, around the side of my mother's house, there's an air conditioner vent. And I always hated it because he took me, and he took me to this drain. And I know this drain because I hate that drain because every time I would mow the yard with a push mower, I would fall and about break my ankle <laughs> in this drain. And I looked up, and I said, Lord, I asked you for a solution for my mother, and you showed me a drain? 
What, what does a drain have to do anything? And as I stopped, I said, I wonder if they make drains for lungs. And I looked up, and they had drains for lungs. <laughs> they were made for mesothelioma patients, not for what my mother did. And I called the doctor, and I said, hey, doc. He said, yeah. He was a very godly man. I said, I got to tell you something. He said, yeah. I said, I know you told me there's nothing you can do for mama, but I got all these things, and I got this idea that you need to do X, Y, Z, and if we can get this fluid off through this, there's this thing called a, a, a pleural catheter, and it's there to pull lungs off, uh, drain off lungs. I went through the whole spiel. I kept going and telling them all the intricacies of how that would work. I said, I got a feeling this will work. I'm not a doctor, but I think it will work. And he looked, he, I could tell he stopped at the phone, and he said, Willie. I said, yes, sir. He said, where did you get that? I said, uh, well, if I told you, I don't think you'd believe it. He said, try me. I said, I prayed to the Lord, and he told me what to do, and I looked up this, and I'm not a doctor, but it may be able to work. And he says, yeah, I believe you. They gave my mother that drain that was supposed to last Three months, that drain lasts and extended my mother's life, so she went from living potentially three months to two years. There's knowledge out there that you don't have, and you have to be able to realize that you don't know everything, but God does, and God can lead you in the place and have people, but everybody says specific. <laughs> it's very easy to get abused by people, and somebody says, somebody in the room has high blood pressure. Well... Most people in America have high blood pressure. That's just generality. When people start talking in generalities, but when God is really sending somebody to you or giving you something, it will generally be specific. There was no way I could have known what a pleurisy catheter was. I didn't know what a pleurisy catheter was, but God led me through that by giving me a word of knowledge. And the, and the doctor was so impressed. I, I joked. I said, maybe I should go into medicine. He said, no, I think you should. But no, that's not my calling. But what it was, God stepped through in an uncanny way. He might not do that all the time, but he did that. And some of you have some situations in your life that you just need a word of knowledge. Peter said, we fished all night. I know I'm going a little bit, but this is the spirit I want to roll with. it. We're almost done. He says, we fished all night, and we didn't catch anything. We're experts at catching fish. And Jesus said, well, I know your problem. Now, he's talking to somebody who's got a couple of boats in a fishing company. He says, your problem is you just need to flip your no put your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, most people will say, look, buddy, I'm a fisherman. This is what I do. How are you going to tell me to put the nets on the other side of the boat? We fished all night. We're washing these nets, and we're going home. But he said, okay, it doesn't make any sense, but I'll do it. He does it, and guess what? He has more fish than he needs. Some of you have been struggling for provision, struggling for purpose, and if you pray to God and God give you a word of knowledge, one second of information can change your life forever. As we get to the last thing, and I won't let you guys go, we talk about the word of wisdom, very similar. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit. Did you know that a tomato is actually a fruit? Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> My grandmother used to have a phrase called an educated fool or educated dummy, people that had plenty of education but didn't know how to apply it. But when you get a word of wisdom, Sometimes you don't know what to do in a particular situation, and God will use somebody with a supernatural spiritual gift to walk into your life and say, 
this is what's happening. I, sometimes I don't know you. I don't know your situation, but this is what I feel like the Lord. I always trust people when they say this is what I feel like the Lord. When they come starting, thus saying the Lord, and they're so confident and cocky. Sometimes I put up a, a, a little barrier there a little bit. But if somebody just honestly, look, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying to me. If it's not, that's fine, but this is what I feel like he's saying. If this makes sense, take it. If not, you can throw it away. But I feel like this is happening in your life, and it's specific, and they start talking to you about things that you need to do and applications of knowledge. God can use people in the congregation to bless people. Those gifts still work. But we have to pray and know when God and be available for God to use us in those things. So it's important that we study these things, know these things, because we don't have to go through life blind. That, that is not fortune telling, that is not soothsaying, that is not all that other stuff. No, you shouldn't be used, trying to use words of knowledge to find out how to win the lottery and all this other foolishness and things like that. That's not what it's for. God is trying to get forth his purpose in the earth, and sometimes it may be he has a plan for your life, Dalen, and he might send somebody one day to tell you what it is. They don't even know you. And he does it because you might say, well, I need to believe God. I need to know you're real. And I don't necessarily know if that's the case. So I let him call out my name right now to know that I know that what I'm saying to you. So you'll know he's real. God does stuff like that. But we have to use it with proper biblical applications so that we will be healthy. Why? So that the church may be built what? up and edified. That when we all use our gifts. When I work where I'm gifted, the body is what? Lifted. lifted. Now I'm going to let you lift. You may stand. <laughs> I know this teaching series is, is a little longer than usual, but is this information helping you guys? Let me know by claps if this is helping you. <laughs> I know it takes a little longer, but we need to be taught sometimes. We'll, we'll be through with the gifted series pretty soon. Other things, but I want you to be equipped, and I'm going to give you spiritual gift test. Uh, Robin, don't let me forget to give that out, please. Thank you. Um, but today, I want you to pray, and I want you to be seeking God today, as Brother Dave comes for where God can work in your life and where He's going to use you, and to be praying specifically for how He wants to be used in your life, and that you'll be able to be available and, and yielding to Him. God, we thank you for this, for this time, and we pray that this word will help to fill your people and to heal your people and encourage them and, and give them the bread of life and, and nurture them to where they need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless your word.